Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand worn by John McEnroe, Goran Ivanisevic, and Novak Djokovic. Listen, when I was a kid, we could not even buy Tacchini. It was aspirational, and now it is available worldwide, and I honestly cannot think of a greater gift for a tennis fan player the stuff is awesome and if you use my discount you save a pile of dollars check them out at sergiotacchini.com and use the code craig30 in all caps to receive 30 percent off of your order a red take complete is the official towel of the craig shapiro tennis podcast the towel was originally created to deal with the slipping and sliding that happens in hot yoga The towel is so good, they are the official towel of Peloton, and you know how much you sweat in a Peloton class. The tennis towels are ultra-absorbent. They're beautifully designed. The colors pop. This is the solution to those kind of problems when you're slipping and sliding. You can't hold the racket. Sweat pouring off your head. Forget it, man. This is what you need. I love them. And we use them at the beach. We use them everywhere. They're the best. A red take complete is what is up. It is A R E T E C O M P L E T E dot com. And use the code SHAP20 in all caps for 20% off of your order. We have a great show for you today. As you guys know, I have been in the cities and mountains and beaches of Colombia for the past few months. And today's guest was indeed born in Bogota, Colombia. He appeared in 11 Davis Cup ties for his country. In 1992, he got to 200 in the world and has lived a full life in tennis, running his own academy as well as managing players' careers. A year ago, he was working with Amanda Anisimova. Jaime Cortez is today's guest. Where are you? You're at the Liga? Yeah. Did you just practice? Yeah, I just practiced for an hour with this kid that is going to be, again, top player in the world. He was number one in the world, Juan Sebastian Gomez. He won the Olympics in 2010, Singapore. Juan Gomez. Yeah, Junior Olympic. The youth of the first Youth Olympics, he won the gold medal. Colombia. And you got and you listen, you and you guys train out of Barranquilla, correct? No, no. Yeah, we're in Cancun. I have my tennis center in Cancun right now. You're out of Cancun. I have incredible set a, a, a place there. You have an incredible place in Cancun. You didn't know? Come on, man. I'm just getting I'm just getting rolling here. Gentlemen, you hear is a lot was a longtime Davis Cupper for Colombia. Yeah. He is from Cali, Colombia. He played on the tour. He got to 200, and he has an interesting story to tell. And uh, we met, I introduced myself to him a week or two ago in Barranquilla, where I am uh, laying low. And that's Jaime Cortez, my man. How are you? I'm good, brother. How was your New Year's? Well, I came to Colombia and, uh, you know, I, I have a new tennis center in Cancun, a beautiful facilities that where we have, I have a partner where we have a, a really nice place. We have a, a hundred rooms. We have all the, all the, all the environment and all the, the things to, to develop top players in the world. We're going to do management. No, no, hang on a second. How was your New Year's, man? You were, I saw you in Cartagena. Did you have a good yeah, New Year's? That's why, 
came to Colombia. I came to Colombia uh, to see my family. I was in Cartagena with my brother, my sister, and my kid. So it's an incredible place. You know, every year I go there. It's a really nice environment. It's a great atmosphere. And, you know, I go to the islands. So it's always with the family, and it's a great place to be. What a place. Now, as you know, we do a five-set format. The first set is the off-the-court report. No, I guess I want to know what was um, being a, you know, a, a high-performance tennis coach like during the COVID? Well, I, th I think I was very lucky, honestly, because I went to, to Cancun eh, eh, precisely to... To I have some kids. I was on the tour with Amanda and Isimova for more than a year, and I was with top players traveling all over the world. But I decided that you know it's too tough for the family to be always traveling. So uh, I say I'm not gonna do that so much more. I have an academy in Colombia, and I had two players that I de I'm developing. You know, from Colombia, I went to Cancun to play some future. So I went there, and as soon as I arrived, they canceled the tournaments. And three days later they closed the border in Colombia. So I was stuck, I couldn't believe it. But lucky for me, I had two girls from Holland. I had uh, two guys from Brazil and I had uh, uh, two Mexicans and the two Colombians. And we all had to stay in this facility. And that's what we did for six, seven months. We were training, so I was very lucky that I was able to work. And I was able to, to create this new project with the owner of the place uh, to develop tennis in Mexico and to develop professional tennis players. I mean, Cortez keeping it moving during the pandemic. Let's move into our second set. That's the on the court reports, really the business of tennis. And seems to me like you're all business, my man. So first and foremost, you were with Anisimova. What was that experience like? How'd that happen? Well, uh, honestly, uh, I was developing top juniors in Colombia. I had a, in 2010, Juan Sebastian Gomez who won the Olympics and was number one in the world. And I had another girl that her name was Camila Osorio, Maria Camila Osorio, and I went to the Orange Bowl with her. She was in the quarterfinals. And that's where I met uh, Anisimova's father. I saw him, uh, Amanda was playing also the Orange Bowl. She was also playing quarterfinals and she lost. And the father approached me. And the interesting story is that I met Amanda when she was born. I actually coached her sister. Uh, that was 10 years earlier. I was living in, my, in, in, in Aventura, and I had some top juniors. I had Azarenka, Gorbotsova, I had Julia uh, 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 Cohen, uh, Christy Marcio. All these girls were top juniors in the world. And, and Amanda's father became a very close friend of mine. He came and said, man, I have to find this guy because I want my, sister, my daughter Maria to play tennis professionally. So when, I, when, when they arrived to see me in, in Aventura, Maria, the older, older sister, she was about 13, 14, and the father said to me, listen, I want you to coach my daughter. And at that moment, eh, Amanda was just like five months old. She was just born and they had, you know, she was just born. So they moved to Florida. And then after I coached her sister for two years and went to university, eh, the, eh, I, I lost contact with the father. So I met him 10 years later. I said, hi, me, remember me? You used to coach my, my daughter. Now I have this girl, Amanda. Can you look at her? Can you help her? Can you coach her? I said, of course. So that's when I started with Amanda. So I'm, I started with her a long time ago. So since staying 11 years old, I helped the father, guide her a little bit. 
until the point that the last year, uh, finally, we decided to, that, that I, I was going to be able to help her longer time. Uh, she was having bad results because the year before I coached her and she got to the fourth round of Indian Wells. That was her first really break, first big break, breakthrough. You know, so she beat some top 10 players and then uh, after that she wasn't doing anything and the father said, listen, Jaime, please see if you can help her more because she trusts you. And I also work the mentality part. I work a uh, neuroscience and neurolinguistic programming. Everything that has to do with the competition and the mind. So I said, listen, what you can do now is bring her to Colombia, bring her two weeks earlier, and she can play a WTA tournament in Bogota, Colombia. And the father and the mother said, Jaime, come on. But that's high altitude. It's very difficult for Amanda. She hasn't been winning any matches. So I said to them, listen, trust me. Just bring her here, and we will see what happens. And likely, she won her first WTA in Bogota, Colombia. So as soon as she wins the WTA at 17, we sat down and said, listen, it's time for you to go full-time with her. So that's what I did, and, and it was a very good experience. Uh, we, we could have won Roland Garros. We really had it because we were with uh, Sele, uh, uh, Halep in the quarterfinals and against uh, the number one uh, player. We were up 7-6-3 love. We had the match, so she could have won Roland Garros, but getting to the semifinals with a 17-year-old was also was gratifying, but also, you know, she improved a lot. She got to the top 20, and then um, badly, the, the father in August died. We were at the U.S. Open, we, and, and the father passed away. So after that, I said, listen, she has to have a little rest. And the manager said, listen, maybe, and the mother, they decided they go to China. So I, I didn't agree with that. So we separated for the moment. We've been keeping in contact, but, uh, but it was a good experience. And being on the tour with a player, you know, that level, that you can make one in the world is, is really gratifying. Hey, man. And she is a great ball striker. Her ball striking is unbelievable. Yeah, but it's important, you know, a girl like this, you have to be very careful with the movement and certain things that she has to do in order to make it to the top. So I've been talking to her and the mother a little bit. Now I have this facility in Cancun to develop players. I also, I'm also been helping a little bit Tsitsipas. I've been working with him since uh, all the pandemia, since Roland Garros. He got to the semifinals, and I know the father very well. His manager used to be my student, so I have a good contact with them. I work a little bit also with Dimitrov and with some top players, especially the mentality. Hang on a second. So you, you're close with Patricio Ape? No. No. No, no. With Tsitsipas' father. I work with Tsitsipas. For the last year, I've been helping him with the mentality and a little bit of the structure, how to play. So I'm a consulting. I do some consulting with them. Also, Dimitrov and some top players. Now, what can you tell me about Colombian tennis? Um, aside from Farah and Cabal and Farah, there's been a dearth of, of, of elite players. And what's the situ what's what's the what's the what's the climate like here in Colombia? Well, uh, in the last decade, you know, from 2010 to 2018, there were some good players, top 100 players. I played on the tour. I was 200. It was Hadal was 80 or 90. You know, we played Davis Cole. We had some good players. After us, there were some other good players like Paya got to 50 in the world. Giraldo 2930, uh, Gonzalez and. Uh, uh, and all these play, three or four players, top 100. Now we have a young kid that is about 113. 
But uh, the juniors were very good when I was coaching. We had the very good juniors. Uh, we had the number one in the world that I, I say we won the Olympics. But after that, in the last uh, five or six years, it has a lot of de decreasing. I don't think the federation is doing much. They're not making so many tournaments. They have one big junior tournament, but no, no, no ATP events. Before we had ATP event, we had a lot of challengers. So that helped the tennis in Colombia. Right now, we don't even have futures. So that's why there is no players. I mean, the players to come, there is nothing. It's Cabal, Farah in the doubles, but in singles, it's only one, one player, 113, 114. But we don't have any tournaments, so that makes it more difficult. So if you don't make the tournaments in the country, it makes it more difficult to, for the players to be top. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. And I, I just try to do a little research about you. I heard you have an incredible story. Let me ask you a question. Where does your tennis begin? Uh, it's really more, more, more interesting than you, than you think. Uh, I lived in Ecuador. My father was building a, a electric plants and, 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 you know, and oil. Uh, uh, plants. So he was working, he was an engineer and we, he was doing a lot of work in Ecuador. Believe it or not, I started playing tennis when I was 15. 15. 15? Yes. I was, uh, I used to play soccer. I played, I was going to be able to play in professional league in Ecuador. And at the end of 15, I played roller hockey. I was the youngest player in the World Cup in Chile. I was only 15 and I was playing hockey in roller skates, roller hockey. I play, I play a world championship. And at my club, there was this coach from Chile. He was the coach for Masu, Marcelo Rios, Fernando Gonzalez, Chilean guy that had a very big vision. And he saw that my movement was very good. And he said to me, listen, I'm gonna make a professional tournament. If you want to help me to be a, a ball boy or a linesman, I will pay you. I was 15, 15 years old. I said, of course, I'll do it. And then he saw my movement and he started coaching me. And then at the age of 16, I went to the States and I met a Harold Solomon. I don't know if you know who he was. Of course, Harold Solomon. Okay, his father, Lonnie Solomon, lived at the tennis club in Fort Lauderdale. And I was going to go to college. I was just one year playing tennis. But I had already improved tremendously because I had a lot of ability in my movement and my hands because of the hockey and the soccer. And the father said to me, listen, kid, you play really good. You know, how long you been playing? And I say to the, to the father of Harold, only one year. He didn't believe me. So he called his son, and the next day I met with Harold Solomon, and we hit. I say, hi, man, it's incredible. You know, you only been playing one year. This, this is not possible. We're going to help you. And the father used to a sponsor. He has sponsored Nick Terry's Academy because Harold's sister, Shelly Solomon, lived at uh, Nick Terry's. So he called Nick and said, listen, I have this kid that is very talented and you have to uh, bring him to the academy and then you can coach him. By the age of 19, three years later, I was the number one ATP player in Colombia. That's the story. Come on, man. I you, man. How I important to was going to the United States for your development? It sounds like it was everything. everything. It was everything. everything. What do you mean? Everything. Because I didn't live in Colombia. And then when I was 19, I met this Colombian guy that played Davis Cup with me. He passed away. Al Jordan, he won NAIA champion, and he was also like 250 or whatever. And uh, we played the Grand Slams, the Qualies, all these tournaments. We played challengers all over the world. And he met me in the States. I was playing a satellite. He said, hi, mate. Come on, man. Where are you from? I said, I'm from Colombia. 
Say, come on, I never saw you hear from you. Well, I say, I just started four years ago and I had already 80 points and he couldn't believe it. So he called the Colombian Federation and said, listen, I found this guy. He's Colombian and nobody believed that I was Colombian because nobody ever saw me play juniors. You know what I mean? So there is no way this kid has to be Colombian. Say, he must be Ecuadorian. I said, no. So I went to Colombia and uh, one year later, we started playing Davis Cup together. So that's the crazy story about me. And that's how I started playing. Now, you must have grinded, man. Like, were you, were you playing, like, money matches in Miami? Were you playing in Fort Lauderdale? Like, I don't understand what you were doing. No, I, I lived at, at, at Boateri's for four years. And then after that, I went to Europe. That's why it improved a lot also. And I wasn't playing ATP. Why? Because I, I beat some really top players. I beat Cedric Piolini in France. I beat Ronald Agenor. I beat a lot of guys. I beat about seven guys top 50. And then I had what is called in France, first series. I had a very good ranking in France. That's why my, my ATP ranking at the moment, it didn't go up so much. Because if I would play, let's say, a challenger, first of all, I would have to play qualities. If I was, I don't know, 300, 400, 500, I couldn't play those tournaments. And when I had a really, really top ranking in France, I was number nine in France. It's a special ranking, but uh, I mean, the guy after me was 70 in the world. So you understand, I was number nine, and, and, and the number 10 was a, a, a Jean-Philippe Florian. He was 50 ATP, and he was the number 10 player. But we made a lot of money. You play money tournaments, and they pay you very... I, I got paid more money to go to a tournament than to win a challenger. So I spent a lot of time in France, and it was very good for me. Then after that, I played Davis Cup, and I had contracts in Colombia, and that's when I started playing more ATP events. You were playing, like, basically the equivalent of the Bundesliga, but in, yes. in, in, in France. All the, the club tennis, but I was playing money tournaments, and a lot of top players did that. Cedric Piolin, the, he was 15 in the world, and all, the, all those guys played those, those club matches used to be very good and was very good to play for the club. Now, that doesn't happen anymore. Now the players don't play that anymore. But at that time, Becker, everybody played Bundesliga and all those tournaments. All the top players used to play that. You stayed, so you stayed making money all the way through? Yeah, for many years. I lived seven years in Paris, and then I played a lot of ATP. You know, I played some ATPs, and then I played Davis Cup. And, and it, was, it was different, you know, there. Because, I mean, for I won challengers, but... To win a challenger at my time, I had to beat five or six guys top 100. Now there's so many challengers that, that it's actually easier, in my opinion, to get to top 100. Then after that, it's about the same. But to get to the top 100, you have many more tournaments and you can go to many other places. So you play a challenger when you play the final with a guy 250 or with a guy 150 uh, because you have more all over the world. Before, it used to be very few. You have one challenger in South America. So everybody played that. Now in South America, you have one in Mexico, one in Brazil, one in Peru, one in Colombia, the same way. So it's different. How do you explain your lack of results in the ATP? You were just having too much fun on the lower ranks or? I mean, yeah, I listen, and by the way, let me just say, I, I understand what an incredible feat it is to get to 200. I'm not... It, to be 200 yeah, is an incredible that, thing. Also, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was very competitive because of the hockey. I was aggressive. I would get pissed off, mad. 
you know, that, that affects me a lot. That's, that's actually why I study neurolinguistic programming. That's why I work the mind with the players. Because if I wouldn't have a better coach, because we were alone at that time. We didn't have coach, we didn't have manager, we didn't have assistant, we didn't have physical trainer. We did everything on, on our own. You know what I mean? You just Those figured coaches, it out the best you could. Exactly. So you didn't have the guidance. I, I, I could have played more ATP, would have been better ranked. But I played because I beat guys 50, 60, 70 in the world. I actually won a tournament with, with Jim Courier in doubles. He's a very good friend of mine. You know, and they say, Jaime, why are you not better run? I said, man, I'm playing in France. You know, I'm doing this and that. And then, and then at the end, I played some more, AT, a couple of ATP, some challengers. I could have played more, really. And my ranking would have been higher. But I did, you know, at that moment what I could. And now, that after that, I became a, a, I developed players and, and I got very good results. I made about six or seven players number one in the World Juniors. And I won a lot of Grand Slams with juniors. And well, now explain that. So you finished up playing. And where, where did you start coaching? Where did In the Florida. Co I went to Florida. And I was going to do something else, you know. And then I met this kid, uh, Nestor Brisino from Venezuela. And I made him top player in the U.S., number one or two in the U.S. And at the age of 16, he was getting 80 points. And, you know, I mean, he was he won, he won, he made the finals of of the of the Eddie Hare and a top junior tournament. He won the Easter Bowl. And then I took another girl, Christy Marcio, that lived in Pedro Pines where I was living in Florida. And then I also made her a top player. At the age of at the age of 13, she won Bogo uh, Barranquilla, grade one, finals of banana bowl, and she was number six in the world by the age of 13. So with those two players, then I got Azarenka, Gorbosova, and that's how I developed a lot of top juniors in the world. How would you describe your coaching style? I'm a, I'm a motivator. That's the number one for me. I'm a very good motivator. This is a, my, my, my big, biggest asset. Obviously, I have the knowledge, and in the last 10 or 15 years, I studied because I'm very passionate for the tennis, and I studied all the, all the mentality, the neurolinguistic programming, and that's where I have improved a lot of players with the mentality, what I did with Amanda, what I did some with Tsitsipas, with, with Djokovic. I worked 2018 a little bit, and he won Wimbledon. So, so that's my biggest asset, the motivation part. And uh, I'm very professional in what I do, and, and, I, and I work on the structure of play, the technique. But the most important, I think, is the motivation, and I, and I improve the mentality, which was my biggest problem to become a better tennis player. I had the biggest, I had a very big ability, but I think the mind played a trick on me and I was impulsive and I was, sometimes I would get nervous. So that, that was uh, the thing that hurt me the most. So that's why I studied this, I improved that, I learned from it in order to become a better coach and make better players. So I, I understand Juan Gomez is your big player right now, your big charge. What's next for you guys? Gomez is, is a, for me, it was a, a, a big disappointment in my life because I met him one in the world he was playing with Nadal, and he could have been top 10. I mean, that's how good the guy is. And then I had a big contract for him and for, you know, I don't know. We, we, we separated. He went to Europe, and he got lost. He's 27, and now I know his abilities. I mean, he's, he's very few guys in the world that actually honestly can strike the ball, the ball like him. So if I coach him one year, he's going to be top 100 in two seconds, the best player in Colombia. And I have some other juniors. I have a girl that is world champion. We coach her here in Colombia with my brother. I'm in Cancun, he's in Colombia. 
She's world champion under 12. I had another kid that is 13 years old, South American champion, uh, Castañeda. They're very good players from Colombia, and I have a couple of Mexicans. I, had a, I have a girl, young girl from Russia. I have a kid from Slovenia in Mexico to develop them and make them world-class players. That's unbelievable. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. I just say it. You say what comes into your mind. We don't go deep, okay? All right. Harry Hopman. Incredible invention about the making a tennis academy. Nick Terry. Also, he's with Harry Hopman, the one that invented the, 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 the academies. I don't know how much, not so much about the knowledge, but the business of making a tennis academy, that's, they're the inventors. They're the, 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 best, the best ones, the, the first ones doing this. Pato Rodriguez. Pato Rodriguez, good coach. Patrick Moradigu. Also businessman. Academy. Your favorite racket? My favorite racket, uh, Wilson. Which one? Uh, the blade. Best racket ever. What size your grip? Four and a half. I'm sorry, four and a quarter. I four and a half, but I make it. I make it smaller. Four, four and a quarter. How do you string your racket? I string it uh, not so tight. Uh, I use Luxilon string, the best string there is. Uh, Forty-eight pounds. Your favorite city? Uh, my house, Bogota. Bogota. Yeah, it's my house. It's my home. That's it, Bogota. Yeah. Big entourage or lean and mean? What do you mean? Big what? Big entourage or lean and mean? Do you prefer to these guys who travel with 10 guys or do you, would you think they should keep it small? Small. Davis Cup. The best competition there is. The one there was, not now, the one before. Labor Cup. Normal. It's a competition, but it's, it's events. ATP Cup. Event. Are you a better tennis coach or are you a better dancer? Oh, my God. Tennis coach. I heard you're an incredible dancer, man. I'm Some of your friends it. told me you're the, you're the best dancer they've ever seen in their whole life. Is that true? It's, I'm very good, really, because I used to do this for the movement. I'm very good, but coach, I think I'm probably one of the best in the world. Hey, man, if you're as good of a dancer, I think there's probably a big market for dance lessons, man. <laughs> Maybe. Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could be the king of tennis and, and make a change in the sport, what would you do? Uh, not make so much the business. It's just the, 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 the tennis, the competition. Not change so much the rules like before. Before the Davis Cup was great. They tried to do too many changes with the ITF. Make it more for the players. It's too much of the business and they don't worry so much about the players. Hey man, I'm glad that I uh, introduced myself to you a week or two ago. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and it's very enlightening to talk to people from other cultures that are sort of deeply invested in, in tennis and that, you know, quite often, you know, our audience doesn't really know about them. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, it was great. It was great talking to you. And whenever you want, you know, we pleasure to do it again. Jaime Cortez, mucho gracias para todos. 
and you are released. All right, my friend. Huge thank you to Jaime Cortez, and thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at SergioTacchini.com, and use my code, Craig Dirty in all caps at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. Man, it is a huge savings and the stuff is awesome. I hope that you guys do it. Once again, a red tape complete is the official towel of the show. They are A-R-E-T-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E.com. Their towels are a tremendous gift. Use my code SHAP20 in all caps to receive 20% discount. We're still taking orders for the tennis t-shirt of last year. As this quarantine keeps on going, the shirt keeps on selling. So I'm just going to fill those orders. It's the quarantine classic. It is a throwback shirt of the century. Shoot me a note if you want to get on that program. If you have not done it yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That is the name of the game. And always share the show with your friends. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.